Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to worship today. Hey, welcome, part of, if you're part of the online campus, welcome. I went to seminary in Kansas City, and we lived there for four years. And while we were there, our oldest daughter, Bethany, was born. And our life was chaotic. I was going to school full time. I was working full time. Holly was working full time. And so we would take turns taking Bethany to the child development center, the daycare. And one morning it was my turn and I was running late. And so I scooped up Bethany. She was about six, seven months old at the time. I threw her diaper bag over my shoulder. I grabbed a bunch of books because after I dropped her off at the Child Development Center, I was going to go right to the seminary and spend a full day there. Then I was going to head off, go to work, and Holly was going to pick up Bethany at the end of the day. So I ran out to the car. I carefully put Bethany in the car seat. I threw my books in the car, and I was off. About halfway to the Child Development Center, I heard a thud. I checked back with Bethany, she's just fine. And I thought, well, I don't know what that is. And I just kept on going. <clears throat> Got to the child development center and took Bethany out of the car and handed her to this wonderful lady. And she said, oh, Mr. Prue, where's your diaper bag? Where, where's Bethany's diaper bag? And I thought, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I went back to the car, checked in the trunk. I never put it in the trunk, but you know, you know, how, you know how you do things that you know they're not there. You know, you're sure that you locked the door, but sometimes before you get in the car, you just have to go back just to double check that you locked the door. Well, I open the trunk, it's not there, and then I remember the thud. I put the diaper bag on top of the roof of the car, took off, and somewhere along the Paseo in Kansas City, Paseo Boulevard, the diaper bag had flown off. I wish I could say that that was the last time. Because that year, we lost three diaper bags because of Mark. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Holly'd be like, where's the diaper bag? You didn't, Mark, did you? Maybe. I don't know. Joy is like that. You're driving down the road, you're sure you have joy, you go from this to that, the other thing, and before you know it, you hear a thud, and you're like, hmm, I'm not singing in the shower anymore. I'm not listening to Christian music anymore. I don't feel like coming to church. I haven't read my Bible in weeks. When I see my spouse at the end of a long day, something inside of me doesn't leap, and like, ah. Oh, Life just becomes kind of a gray haze. And you say to yourself, what happened? I used to be joyful. I'll tell you what happened. Life happened. Everything in life is designed to just, well, suck the life out of you. Our busy schedules, constant noise, difficulties. It's just the nature of life. Like Life is challenging sometimes. And when life gets really challenging and you go through a long season, somewhere along the way you hear a thud. And you ignore it, but then you wake up one day and say, I'm, I'm not really sure I'm happy. And yet, and yet, 
The Bible says that the defining characteristic of a Christian is joy. Philippians chapter four, verses four and five, listen, says, be, always be full of joy because you belong to the Lord. Again, I say, be full of joy. Let people everywhere see how gentle you are. What, what, gentle? I thought we were talking about joy. Here's what's interesting. Paul links joy and gentleness together and he says, joyful people are relaxed. They're chill. And joyful people, <clears throat> they see the good in other people. Joyful people, they're happy because they belong to the Lord. So here's my question this morning. What do we forget about joy? Everybody in this room, all of our friends online, at one portion of your life, probably many times, you felt the thud. You didn't really know it at the time. But then later you thought, I'm just not joyful anymore. And yet, as Christians, actually, we're supposed to be the most joy-filled people of all because we belong to the Lord. So stand with me, turn in your Bibles to um, Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. We're going to look at the shepherds and we're going to see from their life what we oftentimes forget about joy. Luke chapter 2, verse 9. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today. And I skipped a verse. Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. So let's bow our heads together. Jesus, because we belong to you, We know that we should be joyful. The problem is sometimes we're not. Would you help us to reconnect with the defining characteristic of our life in you? In your name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So what do we forget about joy? A um, couple things. One is sometimes we forget that um, a joy-filled life actually doesn't have to be a great life. You can be a joy-filled person even though your life isn't great. The Bible says that the shepherds were terrified, but the angel reassured them, do not be afraid. I think most people have this image in their mind about the shepherds that it's, it's a quaint life. It's a, you know, bucolic life. It's just, oh, look at the shepherds out in the field watching their flocks by night. Isn't that beautiful? 
Actually, a shepherd's life was very difficult. They were on the socioeconomic level, pretty much at the bottom. You know who was just below the shepherds by that time in Israel? Tax collectors and prostitutes and shepherds. That's crazy, right? Why would shepherds be like that? I mean, the Old Testament has all this imagery. You know, David, a shepherd. Yeah, but by that time in Israel's history, shepherds, they were always the ones that were responsible for watching the sheep and taking care of them so that they could go to, the, the sheep could go to the temple and be sacrificed in the temple for people's sins. But here's what's crazy. The Mosaic law said that <clears throat> if you are around dead things, if you were around births, that you were ceremonially unclean and you could never worship in the temple. That's crazy, right? Because if you're a shepherd, there's always sheep being born and there's always sheep dying. You could never get to a place where you weren't around blood or dead things, which meant, ironically, that you were preparing sheep to be sacrificed in the temple, but you yourselves could never go and worship the Lord crazy system the other thing about shepherds is is that you spent so much time out in the fields watching your sheep that nobody actually really knew you so that when you came to town moms would pull their kids a little bit closer let's step on this side of the street because you know you sort of you sort of knew the shepherds but you really didn't know the shepherds and they were just kind of sketchy people shepherds were smelly I mean, when it was cold, you'd grab a sheep and you'd be like, I got to keep warm tonight. So you'd be like hugging the sheep all night long. You know what I mean? Just to keep yourself warm. That's kind of weird. You know what I mean? And yet the Bible says that they were the first to hear. The good news of great joy that would be for all the people. And so what did the shepherds do? The shepherds went and they saw Jesus and I mean, it was great. And the Bible says that they left glorifying and praising God and went back to the sheep. They went back to their not so great life. This is what we forget about joy. Joy doesn't come by things or more. There's something inside of us. Here's the disconnect. <clears throat> we know in our head that it doesn't come. Joy doesn't come by more and better. But in our heart, we feel differently. So for example, some of you are going to get in the car in about 45 minutes and you're going to go back to your great life. But many of you will go back to your not so great life. You'll pull in the driveway and you'll see that gutter that's been hanging for months. You'll walk into your bedroom and look at that torn carpet and you'll be like, man, some of you will go home by yourself and you'll be like, this is my life. For some of you, retirement wasn't what you thought it would be. We have this idea that <clears throat> when we get a better thing, whatever that thing is, then we'll have more joy. 
But you and I both know people that have all the things that the world says really matter and they're actually not filled with joy. And we also know people who have very little things that the world says matters and they're abundant with joy. So joy and things don't always go together. I'm not suggesting that I'm anti-things. There are mile markers in life. You know, when you buy your first house, when you graduate from college, when you get your first car, all those are milestones and they're wonderful things and they ought to be celebrated. But they're, they're moments of joy. And then you fade back into whatever your normal life is. And so we think that there's a carrot out there that when we get that carrot, we're going to be happy. And for a season, we may be happy. And then, you know, we return to normal. Do not wait for joy if you think it will change your life or doing things in your life will bring you to more joy because joy is not a feeling it's an attitude of the heart and you have to choose it the real reason that you and I can be filled with joy is because there's only one actually given in the bible because we belong to the lord that's it secondly joy is found in a person not in things I bring you good news of great joy to all the people. The ancient world was not a happy place. I love studying history, particularly ancient history, particularly Roman history. I've been to Israel many times. They get this Roman glass, they call it, and then they make jewelry from it. I always get holly. Whenever I'm in Israel, I always get holly, a piece of jewelry, and it's the Roman glass that's like 3,000, 2,000 years old, you know? And it's beautiful. But the Roman world wasn't beautiful at all. It was a violent world. And it was a perverse world. In the Roman world, anything went. Anything. And the Roman gods were fickle. Which meant that you could never rely on them. Now, they were false gods. I want you to be clear on that. But they worshipped all of these Roman gods. And they had all these temples to these Roman gods. And, you know, you had to do things just right. Or, these, or if, you're, if something went wrong in your life, then that meant that one of the gods was mad at you. And you could never be sure if your god was happy with you. And so you always live life kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop. It was a superstitious world, and it was filled with fear. But then <clears throat> Jesus came into the world and changed everything because Jesus brought joy. And he brought hope into the world. The one true God, not the man-made Roman gods, sent his only son, the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, into the world, and joy happened. The ancient world knew nothing of joy. It was only when Jesus came. And Jesus talked about a God who was reliable. 
The same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus talked about a God who was for you, that believed in you, that was not against you. And in that ancient world, it blew the minds of people. You ever wonder why Jesus, the gospel, spread so quickly throughout the Roman world? It was because it was brand new. This idea that there was a God who loved you, who wasn't fickle, a God who not just put up with you, but actually sincerely cared for you, it was mind-blowing. And that's why the gospel spread so much. I said last week that we look at hope as a commodity. Like, I ran out of milk, so I have to go to the grocery store to get more milk. Hope isn't like that. Hope is not a commodity. Jesus is hope. Jesus is joy. We look at joy as a commodity, like I need to get more joy. The only way you and I get more joy is to get more Jesus. The more Jesus you get, the more joy you get. You have very little Jesus, you have very little joy. Jesus said some pretty outrageous things about why he came. John 10.10 says, my purpose, meaning the reason why I came, is to give my disciples a rich and a satisfying life. I'm not talking about some prosperity gospel where, you know, God wants you to have the best car, God wants you to have the best home. I'm not talking about that kind of a thing. Jesus is talking about a rich and a satisfying life that is really disconnected from things. Because remember, we all know people who have a lot of things that aren't happy. We all know people that have very little things that are happy. And then John 16, 24, Jesus said, ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. Now, oftentimes you and I read scripture verses like that and we hear the first part, like ask and you will receive. And so we have our list of all the things that we want. Well, my dishwasher went, I need a new dishwasher. Well, the washing machine went, well, I need a new washing machine. God, give me, I need to get the car repaired. And we, we, we automatically, when we think about ask and you will receive, our default is things that we don't have that we need or want. But you know what Jesus said here? Ask and you will receive and your joy will be abundant. It's not the things that you get. It's the relationship that you have that allowed you to get the things that you have. That's what brings abundant joy. Okay, so you can be happy even if you have a not so great life. And happiness is not found in things, it's actually found in a person. But here's the third thing that I see from the shepherds. And that is, you need to do your part to get joy. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Sometimes my mind goes sideways and I think these goofy thoughts. I imagine in my mind that something the shepherds could have done. The angel pronounces good news of great joy and suddenly there was a host of angels around them and they were shouting and giving praise to God and then they left and went back to heaven. Can you imagine if the shepherds said, hey, let's build a campfire and let's sit around and talk all night long about that unbelievable experience that we just had. 
They could have just sat all night long. Can you believe? You see the wingspan on that angel? You know what I mean? How many angels do you think there were? You think there were thousands? Because the Bible says that there was one angel, he was making the announcement, and then suddenly there was a multitude of angels. I don't know what a multitude is. Is a multitude 10? Is it 100? Is it 1,000? I have no idea. But you could have sat around the campfire. I don't know. I was counting. I got to 963. You know what I mean? They also could have sat around the campfire and talked about the message. Unbelievable message. We've never heard a message like that before. I mean, hope has come into the world. Joy has come into the world. That's an amazing message. But they didn't. They didn't build a campfire and sit around and talk about the experience they just had. They didn't talk about the message. They got up and they went to see Jesus. Sometimes we come to church to be encouraged. We want to hear a good word. We want all of our favorite worship songs sung. We want to walk away happy and filled up. I get that. I want that too. Sometimes we talk about the message. Oh, the message was good or not so good. I know you talk about me this afternoon. You'll be like, Mark was not on his game. I don't know. What's up with him? He must have been playing Santa Claus last night at the teen party at 9.30. He didn't get enough sleep. But listen, your real life is not what you've experienced. It's not the message. It's walking with Jesus. On Monday when you're still trying to think about the worship songs we sang on Sunday. It's on Wednesday when a coworker says a snide remark to you and you can't remember anything of the message on Sunday. The shepherds got up and they did their part. They went to Bethlehem and they saw Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus they went around to all the other houses. It says that they went there and, and they told everybody what they had seen. So that means that there was at least some group of people that were still awake. And then they went back and they were glorifying and praising God and went on with their ordinary, not so great life. I've been thinking about what's your part and what's my part in choosing joy. Let me give you five things real quick. Five things that you have to do in order to choose joy. One, you have to abide in Jesus. John chapter 15, verse nine. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. You know how you choose joy? You choose joy 
by being obedient to Jesus and remaining in him. That means you're putting your relationship with Jesus first. I mean, almost every Sunday, I'll tell a story about Holly, almost. I'm waiting for the very end to tell this story. I have a picture to show you at the end. Holly and I, we've been married 37 and a half years. And we're more in love with each other than what we've ever been. But I want to tell you something. We've chosen it. And there are days in which she drives me nuts. And there are days in which I drive her nuts. But listen, she's not the number one relationship in my life. It's Jesus. It just is. He's number one. I seek to please him more than I seek to please my wife, who I love dearly. And when I read something in the Bible and my life is out of alignment with what that says in the Bible, I make every effort to try to make my life in alignment with what the Bible says. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I love Jesus, but their life still remains unchanged. You know what remaining in Jesus means? It means actually being intentional, pursuing a Christ-like life. So that means that you have to reflect about the words that came out of your mouth today. And then at the end of the day, you have to say, oh, Jesus, help me. I didn't mean to be snarky. I didn't need to be sarcastic. I didn't mean to say that word. And you get serious about the things that you say. Then you get serious about the things that you do. Then you get serious about the things that you think. And some of us, think that, oh, you know, if I think it, it's no problem because I really actually didn't do it. Not true. God judges your hearts and your motives. So remaining in Jesus really means being intentional. I'm not talking about being perfect, but I'm talking about pursuing Jesus and remaining in him. Two, ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that's your job. That's something you should do. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. So here, follow the logic here. If you don't have much joy, you don't have much Holy Spirit. You want more joy? Get more Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of Jesus. You know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They all kind of run together. One and yet separate. Do you know that I pray pretty much every day to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I, I don't know what that says about me. I don't think it's insecurity. I just think I leak. I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit every day. So not too many times, I can't say every single day, but most days I'll just get up and throughout the course of the first hour that I'm awake, I'll say, I'll say, Lord, would you just fill me with your Holy Spirit today? Help me to be the best Mark who reflects you as possible. I mean, what's wrong with that prayer? Nothing. What's it take me, like five seconds? 
You could pray that prayer. And here's what I promise you. If you will sincerely pray this prayer, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit, you know, here's what will happen. Your joy will go up because God will begin to speak to you. God will begin to nudge you. Don't say that word. God will begin to nudge you. Hey, say that, say that nice word to that other person. Three, think about, think about your death more. Think about your death more. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Ecclesiastes 7.1, a good reputation is more valuable than costly perfume. And the day that you die is better than the day that you were born. What? Most of us spend an enormous amount of energy pushing death away. You know what the Bible says? You want to be happier? You pull death in. Think about your death more. Okay, so this freaked me out a little bit. So I did some research on the internet. So everything on the internet is true. So, you know, I read several articles. I read an article from a group of doctors in London who were psychiatrists, psychotherapists, clinical psychotherapists. All, all, I mean, so they, they have to be true, right? I mean, I don't know. But there's this big study that says that the happiest people on the planet think about their death a lot. And I said, I have to read this article. And here's what it said. Two things. Thinking about your death more will remind you of all the things that you'll miss that you're taking for granted for at this moment. You know all those things that irritate you about the people that you love? You're going to miss them. And the second thing that this article said is, it will give you a better perspective on your current problems. I love that part because you know what that means? I mean, death is the ultimate loss, right? Unless you're a Christian, then it's the ultimate game. Here's what's interesting. Is that all the things that worry you at this particular moment in the light of your death, meaningless. Right? All the things that bother you, all the concerns that you have, will I, will I have enough in my retirement account? Will my kids get right? Will all of it in the light of your death? I don't know. That's not that big of a problem. So once again, science catches up with the Bible and says, why don't you spend some time thinking about your death? Because then it will bring into perspective all the problems you have currently, and you'll think about all the things that you take for granted that you'll miss. I love this one. Think opposite joy. One of the ways that we cultivate joy is to think the opposite of joy. Let me give you a couple of examples. Think about the boyfriend that dumped you and all the good things that happened because he did. Think about the doctor's visit that gave you bad news that motivated you to change. Think about the Bible verses and sermons that you heard that convicted you so that you turned to God for forgiveness. Think about the job that you didn't get that opened up a door to another job. Think about all the prayers that God didn't answer that you desperately wanted him to at the time. But now you realize that would have been a disaster. I would have been married and divorced five different times if God would have answered all my prayers. <laughs> right? But God said no when I wanted him to say yes. Ten years later, I'm like... Here's the last one. 
Find something small to celebrate every day. Now, I, this is sort of similar to last week because last week I talked about, you know, spend every day this week before you get out of bed, that twilight moment before you get out of bed, thinking about 10 things you're grateful for and it'll change the course of your day. Maybe we should think about 10 things that bring us joy. Here's what I think. I think that many of us are thinking about some big thing out there that'll bring us joy and we're skipping over all the little things that when they add up together bring great joy, but we tend to discount them. For example, you have a picture of um, our two daughters? Yeah. So this was Friday and our daughter on our left is Emily daughter on our right is Bethany and Holly was supposed to be here this weekend but she's not but she was supposed to be here we had several Christmas parties that we were planning on attending but a few weeks ago Bethany our oldest daughter called up Holly and said hey this you know this weekend today is Emily's birthday why don't we drive up to Erie together? That's where Emily lives. And we're going to surprise her. And we'll just walk in on her and bring a cake. And we're going to spend the weekend with her. What do you think about that? And, and I said to Holly, yeah, but we have all these Christmas parties to go to. And she said, what? I don't think so. <laughs> well, what am I going to say to all these people? I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I'm going with my one daughter up to see my other daughter, we're gonna spend time up there for a couple days. I'm gonna be around two of my five grandkids and what's your name again, Mark? I don't even know you. Simple things, simple, not complicated, simple. A mom and a daughter celebrating another daughter's birthday, being around grandkids, it doesn't get any better than that. Some of you, it'll take you 50 years to just figure out what I just said. It doesn't get any better than that. I've noticed that joy actually is, depending upon your season of life, it changes. When you're younger, you're in the accumulating stage of your life. And so joy bring, you, you get a lot of joy by accumulating things. I, I get that. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. You know, you get your first car. You get your first job. You get your first degree. You get your first house. You get your first child. I mean, you're in the accumulating stage. But here's what you'll, here's what you'll discover once you hit midlife. That great joy comes not with accumulation of things anymore. It comes in relationships. And you measure the joy of your life on the relationships that you have. And they are the things that bring you great joy. So here's my challenge to you. Some of you are in a season of having not so great a life. And I'm sorry for that. I said last week, I believe in you and I'm for you. And I want everybody to be in a season of, 
of fullness and thriving. But it's just the nature of life, isn't it, that we all go through seasons? And some of you may not be in a season where your life is that great. Choose joy anyway. Don't wait until whatever you think is going to make you more joyful happens. It may not happen. That's the nature of life. It may or it may not happen. I don't know. But if you wait until certain things line up in your life to be joyful, you're going to be wasting some years. Choose it now. Secondly, just a gentle reminder, joy is a person, not a thing. Joy is a person, not an event. We're joyful because we belong to the Lord. You know why Advent is so meaningful? Advent's revival time. Right? Advent is the time in which we stir up our own hearts and say, the most important thing in my life is Jesus. And if you'll abide in Jesus, if you'll ask to be filled with the spirit of Jesus, you will experience more joy. Of the five things that I mentioned in closing... Five ways to get more joy, five ways to cultivate joy. Which one of those could you just do immediately that would make a profound difference? I'm going to ask you to stand. Now, the worship team is going to come and they're going to sing a wonderful song of joy. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to really sing it. Right? And if you're a, if you're a raise your hand kind of person, you raise your hand. If you're not a raise your hand kind of person... Did anybody see me? Somebody asked me one time, Mark, why, why do you raise your hand sometimes, you know, in worship? And here's my response. You know, there's a little verse in the Bible that says that we ought to lift up holy hands to heaven. And so sometimes I feel it, sometimes I don't, but I choose it because it's an act of worship for me. Now, you want to raise your hand, fine. If you don't want to raise your hand, that's okay too. All I'm trying to say is we, we don't do certain things because we don't feel them. Maybe we ought to do certain things and then let the feelings come after we do those things. Does that make sense to you? Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, we choose joy today. Whether we have a great life or a not great life. We choose you over things. We choose joy because we belong to you. And Father, as we spend the next few moments in worship, would you descend upon us and fill us with your joy because we've responded to the good news. Okay, now listen, before I close this prayer, there may be some of you online or in this room that actually don't know Jesus so you don't have lasting joy. This would be a good moment for you to just say, I invite you, Jesus, into my life. I, I turn away from my sin. I repent of it. I turn my back on it. And I invite you to come into my life because I want to be filled with joy. I want to experience John 10.10 10. My purpose 
is that they may have a rich and full and satisfying life. Inviting Jesus into your life is the beginning. You don't need to have it all figured out. That's why it's called faith. You just take a step. And for some of you, you just need to say, I'm open. Come in, Jesus. And he'll come in. And all God's people said, amen. Let's worship the Lord.